Welcome to Emergo Radio, a place where a brain-first lifestyle matters, a place of impact and inspiration, a place where your hosts, Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny, coach you to rise above. Hi, friends. My name is Dave Kenny with Emergo Radio, and I'm here today with my co-host, Susan Kenny. Susan, we get the privilege to talk about a subject where we get a lot of phone calls from families and others, even sometimes people themselves who are seeking change. And somebody who uh, we talked to last night talked about a fresh start and a new beginning, which I love that phrase, having a fresh start or having a new beginning. And uh, I want to address the subject or the word change itself for a minute, because the word change is a shame-based word. If you want to think about it, the word change means, especially when somebody says, you have to change, that means I'm not good enough. And that's a, that, that immediately will create some resistance. Immediately, as soon as, as soon as somebody says, you must change, there's resistance there. Versus uh, if you think about a coach in sports and all that, I want to show you another way to do this. I want to show you a way that you can reach your goals. And so growth, a fresh start, those are things that we talk about here. And there's a great phrase we use a lot. People resist, don't resist change. People resist being changed. People don't resist change itself. People resist being changed. And so if you have a spouse or a loved one, a child, maybe a parent who is struggling, a friend who is struggling, and when we go over and say, you must you know, do something, you must lose weight, you must stop drinking, you must stop smoking, you'll probably run into some resistance right away. And so really it's how can I either help a loved one or how can I step into that myself? And right now we're recording this early in the new year of 2020. So now we're going to talk about some resolutions or these promises we make, these big bold, hairy, audacious goals we all set in the year, and yet they seem to just dissipate over time. And so that introduces change in habit and growth in habits. And Susan, you wanted to talk about also and, and to bring in some science-based learning about how to create new habits that stick. Mm-hmm. So great book to check out, great resources called Atomic Habits, and the author is James Clear. And of all of the books or resources that talk about the uh, the science of change, I think that this one is a, a great investment. So we're just going to really quickly go over five things that he talks about in the book. And if it sounds interesting, then maybe you can invest some, some more time into it. So number one is that doing tiny things equal a mighty change. So getting 1% better today and 1% better tomorrow will have more significance than having a fire hose of change. You know, when you wake up and you say, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do this. Science proves that smaller, tiny changes over a longer period of time are going to stick better and you're going to have a better chance of having that change really become a new lifestyle for you. So Maslow's hierarchy, he talks about plus one or minus one. So each day when you wake up, you get to choose each action and each action is going to create a plus one or a minus one 
in terms of positive change. So the second thing that he talks about in the book is the plateau of latent potentiality. So this is in, in money, this is compounding interest. So you get to the point where you, you continue to do these changes and now it grows exponentially and it grows faster than you can imagine. But before that, you're going to endure the period of time where you actually see very little change. So this is relatable in the sense of I'm starting a diet and you weigh yourself three or four times a day and you become disappointed because you're not seeing any significant change. And so what what is better is deciding that you're going to make this change and then creating a significant period of time so that you can begin the evaluation. So if it is a weight loss goal, then not weighing yourself for a certain period of time or even understanding that as you get healthier, muscle actually weighs more than fat does. And you're, you are probably even going to weigh more, but that's not a bad thing. Number three is, and this is really the crux of all of it, is the identity. Become the best version of ourselves. Create the identity. Who do you want to be? And when you can make that decision, act like that. Do the things that you think a healthy person does. Do the things that you think a kind person does. Whatever is your new identity, create those habits and, and you get to, this is really subjective because what I think is healthy and what somebody else thinks is a healthy person may be totally and completely different. So anything you want to add, Dave? I just love that. I want to back up to the tiny changes are mighty. And I, and I love the visualization, you know, I've used it in coaching too, but when you said it, trying to drink from a fire hose um, and, and that's when we that's usually the pitfall of the new year's resolutions people start out with these massive and maybe two or three or four things and it just becomes um, self-defeating but we talk about in in the book atomic habits talk about making one percent change in a day so imagine going to bed tonight and 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 just kind of smiling yeah i'm a little tiny bit better than yesterday one percent and do that tomorrow and do that the next day and do that every day of the year. If if you were able to do that every day of the year, 1%, you end up 37 times better at the end of the year. But as you've talked about the compounding interest effect, if you do 1% better every day for two years, you're 1,400 times better and if you carry that over over five years, you're 76 million times better. So I, I know that's a big number and we can we can examine that. But philosophically, there's value here. There are we're going to go on to the fourth key element of this book, and it's called the four laws of behavior change. So these are well known throughout all books or learning that focuses on habit. Number one is is Q, C-U-E. Make it obvious in your environment. If you want to be a runner, put your running shoes out. If you want to be a meditator, get your room set up so that you're going to meditate. If you want to eat well, make sure that your fridge and your pantry 
have really great food. So, so wait a minute. If I want to quit smoking, what should I do with my lighters? <laughs> then you best be getting rid of your lighters because they're going to create an old neuropathway, which is going to, you're going to think about that cigarette more when you see the lighter. Number two in the four laws of behavior change are craving. So what we mean by that is making it attractive, making the benefits really outweigh the unattractive bad habits. So you you are now creating the benefits list. Why do you want to quit smoking? Why do you want to lose the weight? Why do you want to implement this into your lifestyle? So we've also coached this many times, and it's a fundamental principle of coaching. If you focus on what you don't get versus on focusing on what you do get, and that that is anything in life. So um, if you're if you're focusing on the thing that brings some pain, oh my God, it's Monday and I have to go to work. You're gonna have a tough Monday morning, versus the opportunity of. Oh my God, I get to go and help people. I, I, I don't care if the motivation is, I get to go make money for my family and for myself today. And so, um, you know, if you, if you focus on what you don't get, I don't get ice cream versus what I do get. So if you're eating healthy and moving your body, I do get a better sleep. I do get better emotional regulation. I do get physically more attractive. I can fit in my genes. And if I start thinking about and focusing on what I do get and I'm and I practice gratitude in that area, then it is a powerful way to help the laws of behavior in change. Number three is response. And this is just easy to engage. So don't put up barriers. Make it as simple and as easy as possible to respond and implement this new lifestyle change. So instead of going hog wild and say, I'm going to meditate two times a day for 20 minutes, which is going to be really challenging in an already full life. And another easier bite size idea might be to say, I'm going to meditate two minutes before I have my morning coffee. So I love my um, moto hot yoga, but when starting something like a, an exercise regime, think about, you know, twice a week, three times a week, make it a winnable game. You really want success. Cause if you set out to say, I'm doing this six times and you, and you haven't been doing it and you, I'm, you know, I'm going to swim in the pool. I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to do my moto hot yoga six times this week, right out of the chute. Chances are you've already set yourselves up, but yourself up against again, it's not winnable. So create a winnable game. If it's three times a week and you can go four, fabulous, but, but make it a winnable game. And number four is reward. So make it satisfying do this so you want to do it again, which is, I, I think, ties into what you were just saying too, Dave. It, make it a pleasurable experience. If you're going to go and work out and you haven't worked out for a long period of time and you your body is sore, chances are you're not going to go back to the gym in a couple of days because you've made it a very unpleasurable task. So doing something that really feels good. I feel good about myself when I did this. I feel happy at the end of the day and I'm really connecting to that identity that I've created. So the last is called the Sorites Paradox. And it's just an accumulation of these great habits. And over time, this becomes your new lifestyle. 
So little things, little incremental changes over time. And before you know it, this is your new lifestyle. So how do you begin to implement these new habits and changes into your life? And I'd tie that back into the little changes. We're not talking about, you know, jumping across the Grand Canyon. It's that's, that's, again, that's not a winnable game. So begin to make little changes and and that creates habits. And I want to explore what a habit is. A habit from a neuroscience point of view is a neural pathway. Let me repeat that. A habit is a neural pathway. And the more you do it, much like if you ever driven down or walked on a path and many people walk down the path, there's a rut or you're driven down a dirt road and there's ruts in the road. Well, those are those are habits because the more a neuron fires, the stronger a neuron wires. The more you brush your teeth with, for me, my right hand, I don't have to think about it anymore because I've created those neural, pat- those neural pathways. But if I switch to my left hand, it becomes, it, it, my, my, physically I'm the same, the toothbrush is the same, the tool is the same, everything is the same, the sink, the mirror. The difference is and why it's so uncomfortable is I'm having to think and create new neural pathways. And so that's what a habit is. And at at first, in doing something new can feel uncomfortable. But the more you create this new pattern, uh, whether that's maybe it's a routine in sleep before bed and in the morning, maybe a morning routine, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Well, what, what that is, is you've created neural pathways. One of the things that the brain really enjoys is newness. And if you think about it, we we get excited when we do new things. We look forward to new adventures. We look forward to new exploration. The brain feels the same way. So although it may feel very comfortable and that, as Dave says, that feels uncomfortable to change, you actually feel better about the change that you're making. So how do I evaluate? I mean, there's so many, so many things that pull at us in life. How do I evaluate that? Uh, part of that is our value system. And, and, and that's individual from everybody. And your goals actually come from your values. What you value then becomes kind of a breakdown from that become the goals. But Stephen Covey uh, had a great book. It's been uh, ages. It's first things first. And he has a quadrant and it's a four part quadrant. And, a, and across the top, there's two areas, urgent. And if you took a piece of paper out and did this, but visualize it with me, urgent and not urgent over on the right side. And then down the left column, there's important and not important. So crisis. So, so I mean, a, a quadrant one is urgent and important. That's a crisis. That's a family member who gets in a car accident. The dog runs away. It's an urgent and important thing. And it will pull you, regardless of your schedule, it's going to pull your schedule and you're going to have to make an adjustment in any illness, for example. Um, You get a call from the school and something urgent and important has happened with, with your child. Across the page, you've got important still, and not urgent in the top right quadrant. This is really where you want to be. You really want to be in this area of focusing on things that are very important in your life without a time deadline. So this is about being proactive. This is the area of growth. So what might be important but not urgent is um, my PhD. 
I'm in the midst of that right now. I'm, I'm not under a crisis. I'm about halfway through and I've finished parts of it and I've got some other parts coming and I've got some flexibility with that is very important, but it's not super urgent. Now that you go down the important side, down the left-hand column, not important into the first side is urgent, not important and urgent become the time wasters. This is actually where most people live and texts, emails, and, you know, impromptu, somebody pops into your office and a friend pops by. Well, that's okay too. But those are, ur- those are things that are urgent. You have to deal with them, but they're not really that important. And so you can learn some new time, time management skills of turning off your email alerts and your text alerts and creating time in your schedule to focus on the important not urgent issues. And then the final fourth quadrant is not important, not urgent. These are really the vacuum, you know, time wasters, TV, YouTube, social media. And I am not suggesting you don't create time um, to uh, relax and recharge. I would actually put that above it in the important and not urgent period. But imagine if you created that time in that space, it becomes far more valuable than nothing that's urgent and nothing that's important. And there goes three hours of your night and you haven't moved forward in that 1% better today. So they all do tie in. A great resource is a book called Essentialism. And the author is Greg McKeon. Why it's important, it's called The Pursuit of Less. So it's Really, what the book teaches you is to say no to things that are unimportant. So to recap, here's here's what Dave was saying. First, identifying core values. You have to know what your why is. What is really important to you? What do you value the most? And then pick the things that you want to change based on those values. And then great resource, Stephen Cuffey, First Things First, the urgent, not an, not urgent, important, not important to be able to make decisions. So, Susan, I wanted to jump in just real quick and talk about um, families. I mean, this is this is great for somebody who is motivated for personal change themselves. But what if we have a spouse or or an adult child or a teenager that just you know they're just happy in their dysfunction? And they're happy being stuck, and the family sees kind of the uh, the you know the accident happening, and the, the train wreck is about to happen. And you see this: they're failing in school, they're failing at work, they don't have a job, um, their job's on the line, they've been reprimanded, they're in trouble with the police, a DUI, and they're in this place of resistance. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, and first of all, I'm going to address it from a brain point of view. So because we have technology that allows us to be able to see brain function. So at Emergo Recovery or residential program, the very first thing that we do is use technology to look at a brain. What we see in people that are struggling, unable to move forward, really stuck in dysfunction and self-harm is that the brain is grossly imbalanced, that there are areas that are very overactive. There are areas that are very underactive. And really, in order to be healthy, you want a brain that's really functioning very balanced from the left lobe to the right lobe and from the front to back. So, so Dave, I want to make that really clear that there are a lot of times when people are struggling, it is not a choice. 
And that's the people who come to our program. It's not a choice anymore. It is a brain imbalance issue, not a chemical imbalance, but an actual physiological measurable function of the brain. So willpower and strength doesn't factor into this because you simply don't have the brain ability to be able to follow through with that. It's it's a beautiful place for me to pick up on. Uh, I get pretty fired up. I'm pretty passionate about this because occasionally, more often than not, talking to family members, they say this sounds great, fantastic, thank you, but um, we're going to wait till they hit rock bottom. And I am not a proponent of that. Number one, if you hit rock bottom and let people go further down, you have further to go to come up. Number one. Number two, there are life-changing events that can happen when you hit rock bottom. Whether that's impacting travel, especially today with tech, with the ability for border people to, to attract people, uh, you can you can limit somebody's life quickly. And well, they will limit their life quickly through some bad choices. Uh, you've got some legal issues and problems. You've got other family people who could physically and emotionally get hurt. Anybody that is waiting for that, if you see that there's a problem, then it's time to act. And, and I am not talking about forcing somebody. I'm talking about a gift of love. And this is not a shame-based approach. But if you saw somebody and knew a family member who had a, a lung illness or a liver illness, uh, a heart illness, you would do absolutely everything you could to get them the professional help they need. And this is no different. Brain drives behavior. There is no doubt about that. And so when a brain in the, is stuck in a parasympathetic dominant state, go ahead, go outside and put your parking brake on in your car and then yell at your car why it's not moving. Well, it's the same thing here. And I want you to think about paralyzed, somebody who is physically paralyzed. We can see them with crutches or canes or in a wheelchair, and we would not expect them to get up and walk. That would be silly. But parasympathetic is somebody who is just as frozen, but in an emotional context, they isolate, they stay in their room, they can't do these things, but your brother could, but your sister could, but you know, your friend can, uh, why can't you? That's a shame-based approach and, and you're misunderstanding what's driving behavior. The other side of that is somebody stuck in a sympathetic dominant state who really acts out in a high stress state, a fight or flight. And so somebody slamming doors, they're, they're, pushing, looking for fights. And you have to be aware of this, that this isn't, and, and then you've got some people who will switch like a light switch. Their behavior will change. You leave the room and they'll be frozen and quiet. You come back in the room and boom, they've exploded. And sometimes the brain can shift as fast as you can snap your fingers and, and brain drives behavior. And, and that includes now I, we can get into, which I, I won't get into long. There's another podcast on this, but the, I'll get into why we use substances is to get relief from a brain like this. Cutting is a, is a, is a way to get relief. Why do you cut? It makes, it makes no logical sense. But from a neurological point of view, they're getting emotional relief. And over and over and over, we've had people say, I'd rather feel physical pain than emotional pain. And when families let go of that, um, it, it saddens me that they don't do everything they can to help the individual get the help that they need. I think to be fair, Dave, I think you, there's a mixed message out there that, you know, tough love, tough love. 
And, um, you know, you, a lot of the time people are told to turn their back on somebody who continually makes really bad decisions. What we're saying is that if you believe that they have a brain imbalance, if the brain truly isn't functioning properly, then that's what you have to focus on. You've got to get them help in order to be able to create a different neural network. And so the intervention, and this is what we're talking about right now, and I I agree with you, Dave, there are people who can implement change um, 1% each day and, and they can make a lot of great decisions. So what we're talking about is when is it appropriate for the family then or friends, loved ones to provide an intervention in order to be able to help the person who is struggling create new habits? Well, you can introduce one of my favorite subjects is boundaries. So I've talked about um, getting people to help. Well, you can't force someone and you can't force an adult or even a teenager to do that. And it's not going to work anyways, but you can help move that along. And that's not from from forcing things. It is from giving them choice. But boundaries and having boundaries and, and a consequence to a boundary is the most empathetic, most compassionate, most love-giving thing you can do for an individual. It's not a punishment. It's not punitive. I want to repeat that because because this thing, this work called consequences gets a bad rap. Here's a consequence. If I eat donuts for a week, I'm not going to feel well. I'm going to put weight on. I'm going to lose focus. I'm going to lose attention. That's a natural consequence. And yet if I eat well, sleep well, and work out, there's a natural consequence. And so this is a natural law. It's undeniable. And so the easy way to look at this is what's okay and what's not okay. And it's a beautiful way to look at this, but you've got to be able to set what that boundary is and, and, you're, and to expect an individual who is not able to make good choices in their life. They're, they're losing their job. They're in trouble with the police. They, they can't go out in social settings. They can't go to school. Now think they're going to make a great life choice on their own is a little bit flawed to say the least. So it's about the family finding a solution. And I and I really implore you to look for a brain healthy solution, whether that's at a Mergo or the Amen Clinics or or Mark Hyman and the Broken Brain things. I really I really encourage people to look at a brain first approach to wellness and recovery. But this is about then finding a solution and presenting one solution, not three, not four. One solution. Here's solution A. If you and if you don't want solution A, then you pick solution B, whatever that is, and, but you get the whole thing. And, it's you know, we've all talked about this enabling thing, and it, it is true. So it's about time that families help the individual who is really stuck and really struggling. And, and the thought that all of a sudden they're going to make a great life choice when they haven't been able to do so is a flawed paradigm. So what I hear you say is the family has a lot of influence, but it has to be presented in a very simple, loving, kind, compassionate way well we've done i've done personally i've done well over 100 150 uh interventions i guess you could use that phrase please don't think about what you see on tv but we really approach this from a gift of love and there's a project that we walk families through but there are some some steps that we have to look at are there other family members who are going to 
who take pr- take pride in being the rescuer and, and are going to step into that role. And that introduces a whole nother book called The Power of TED, uh, so, um, The Empowerment Dynamic. Excuse me. TED is the acronym, The Empowerment Dynamic. Great book. But who's the persecutor? Who's the rescuer? And of course, the person who's stuck will be the victim. And the victim actually has the majority of the power in the family dynamic. So I I want to talk about there is there's a book that we share learning that we share with our clients when they come to us and it's a it's um written by a nurse a palliative care nurse that was able to be with people in the last parts of their life right right before they were dying and it's a beautiful little book but here's what she came up with is this is the top 5 regrets of the dying. Number one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. Coming back to this is what core values are. So whether whether it's you that's wanting change, whether you want to support somebody that you love and wanting change, it's important that they're living the life that they want to live and helping them discover that. Number two, I wish I hadn't work so hard. So remember, this was a generation of people that probably had come through the depression and are older than the group that we have now. But what I read into that is that there's a work-life balance, that there's the opportunity to play and enjoy and have fun, but also to be able to do things that are productive. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings And emotional intelligence is one of the things that we focus on. Many people who are in crisis really don't connect emotionally to themselves and therefore they can't read it in others. So again, there's a neurological reason for that. And it is something that can be developed. Emotional intelligence actually is a better predictor of success in life. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. So when you're creating new habits or when you're creating a new life, have a community that really supports this new lifestyle so that there's a destination, there's a connection, whatever that is, and and do your best to make it something that brings you into a community of like-minded people and you feel better being with them and you're supported by them emotionally as well. Number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. That was the fifth regret of people that were dying. And quite often we suppress sadness, but quite often we suppress joy. And so doing things that really are important and bring bliss and purpose and meaning create a very full life. So today's topic has been talking about growth, a fresh start, and creating habits and using the science of that. And we've also talked a lot about the brain. Um, and please, when when thinking about this, you've got to learn to love your brain. Feed your brain. There's other podcasts on this. The brain loves oxygen and loves great nutrient-dense food and water and hydration and sleep. But these are steps that we can do, the 1% a day, every day, um, focusing on what you get, not what you don't get, and everything else that we've talked about today. And if there's any way that uh, 
we can help you or any other individuals, uh, please reach out and let us know. But Susan, when we wrap up, we always talk about rising above. And today's conversation is about helping people rise above themselves in their life or to help their family members rise above with where they're at. And so I asked today, what is it that you are going to do or have done to help you rise above? In putting together this podcast, Dave, I remembered that there's something called the Values in Action Strengths. And there's a questionnaire online, which which is super easy to do. And when you finish this questionnaire, you really know what your own personal strengths are. So while we were putting this together, it was one of the resources that I looked at. I have not looked at my personal questionnaire in quite some time. And I want a refresher of what my top five strengths are, because those are the things that are going to help me build all of those other healthy habits again. So I'm going to take a look at my VIA strengths. <laughs> that sounds cool. I look forward to you sharing because I know you will. So I look forward to that. Uh, for me, it's going to be a commitment to my meditation twice a day. Um, and uh, I've made some time here this afternoon that I really want to make sure for 15 minutes and um, that I do my meditation, and, and it's amazing for me, and it does make a positive impact in my life. So today, my commitment to help rise above, and my 1% is my meditation practice today. So this has been Dave Kenny here at Emergo Radio, and I'm joined with my co-host, Susan Kenny. And we want to thank you for listening. And if you um, have enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five star. Leave us a comment. Even better than that, share it with other people, social media. Um, share it with your friends, your family. Uh, help us, please. And I really mean that. Help us spread the word so that people can rise above in their life. So thanks for joining us here at Emergo Radio. Thanks, everybody. In gratitude, we thank you for joining us on Emergo Radio, a place where you rise above with your hosts, Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and learn. Want more? You can reach us at emergoradio.com. That's E-M-E-R-G-O radio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.